0: today's read, Meditations Across the King's River, African-inspired wisdom for life's journey, written by James Weeks, Chapter 5, Nigeria, Escape and Immersion. A sign will appear, not once, not twice, but many times, then you will know who you are, what you must do, and how you must live in this world. Nigeria is tough, like the eye of a fish. My friend Ade often says this. He never says it in English, though. He says it in Yoruba, Nigeria. I love the poetic imagery of this expression. The Yorubas are great poets. And the sacred verses of Ifa are considered classics of world literature. Swift king appearing like the evening moon, his very gaze exalts a person. Rhapsodizes one Yoruba poem about Shango, the orisha of thunder and lightning. Leopard of the flaming eyes, storm on the edge of a knife water by the side of fire at the center of the sky he is all alone and very handsome says one praise poem to Oshushi, the orisha of hunters handsome even in the quality of voice vital he arises in the morning bow and arrow already about his neck o shushi quickly unleashes his arrow we see him only to embrace a shadow my wondrous mother says a poem to Oshun my confidant hail the mother Oshun Osobo the marvelous cook those who refuse to hail my mother will be denied tasteful bean cakes and corn cakes the mighty water is rushing past it is flowing to eternity. While I can appreciate such poetry now, I could not during my first trip to Nigeria because nothing in my life felt poetic. It was chaotic. I had two objectives when I first journeyed to Nigeria in 2003. One, undergo spiritual initiation into IFA, and two, get urgent spiritual help for Malcolm, our teenage son who was using and selling drugs, stealing cars, and running with a dangerous gang in deep East Oakland. After he spent two stints in juvenile hall and a few months in rehab, my wife and I were desperate to find ways to keep him off the streets and out of jail. I'll never forget that one full day in downtown Oakland, I was so stressed out about our family crisis that I felt sharp pains in my chest. Was I having a heart attack? I sat down on a bench immediately and for the first time in my life, it became clear to me how easily stress can kill us. Every time a police car whizzed by, I thought of Malcolm every time the phone rang at my job, I feared it was more bad news. Around the same time that I began my journey into Ifa, Stephanie, my wife, was seeking answers and guidance from Buddhist friends and Dharma teachers she recently met during silent retreats. One such teacher, Lama Shoyin Rangjol, An African-American Buddhist priest agreed to meet us for several counseling sessions around what to do about Malcolm. He had great respect for the spiritual path I was embarking on. Taking Malcolm with me would be difficult, but life-changing, he assured us. It would help our son realize just how privileged he was and make him unreliable to his thug friends in Oakland. Like... Many in the African diaspora, I had romantic visions of what my first trip to the motherland would be like. Yet, within 24 hours of my arrival, the mere thought of being in Nigeria for three weeks was overwhelming. The crushing poverty, mountains of garbage along the freeways and plumes of smoke billowing from hazardous oil fields weighed heavily on my spirit. Soon, I found myself questioning if this trip was a good idea after all. Ade and his two brothers met us at the airport, and we spent our first night at a hotel. The next day, as we drove from Lagos, Nigeria's largest city, with a bustling population of an estimated 9 million people, to Ile Ife Ade's home, I realized I had something new to worry about military thugs with machine guns, demanding bribes at every checkpoint. Ade did all of the talking and yelling back and forth with them, but sooner or later, he would have to part with some hard-earned Naira in order to keep us moving. In this country, bribes are part of daily life. With its vast oil reserves, Nigeria should be a rich country But it is not. With huge deposits of minerals like diamonds, chromium, gold, uranium, platinum, cobalt, coltan, and copper, Africa should be a very wealthy continent, yet it's not. Cobalt is a precious mineral that is crucial for Western aerospace and defense industries. Coltan. Coltan, on the other hand, is used in cell phones, laptops, jet engines, car batteries, pacemakers, and other electrical appliances. Where does all the wealth go? Back then, I did not know what I know now. That part of the reason why life is so hard in Nigeria and other countries is because of systematic economic exploitation by the West. The book, New Confessions of an Economic Hitman by John Perkins opened my eyes to this reality. Then, the economic deprivation I witnessed in Nigeria began to make sense. Finally, I understood why life is tough like the eye of a fish for most of the world's population. Perkins says economic hitmen cheat countries around the globe out of trillions of dollars. They funnel money from the World Bank, the U.S. Agency for International Development and other foreign aid organizations into the coffers of huge corporations and the pockets of a few wealthy families who control the planet's resources. John Perkins knows what he's talking about because he used to carry out the same economic hits he writes about. These days, he's apparently seeking redemption by teaching others how to fight the cancerous economic system that has spread from developing countries to the United States and the rest of the world. He describes it as a death economy and says It attacks the very foundation of democracy and the planet's life support systems. I'm haunted every day by what I did as an economic hitman, says Perkins. I'm haunted by the lies I told back then about the World Bank. I'm haunted by the payoffs to the leaders of poor countries, the blackmail, and the threats confessing a sin is the beginning of redemption. Despite the odds, Perkins believes personal and societal transformation is possible. He has become a shaman and leads workshops teaching ancient wisdom he's learned from indigenous cultures. His book lists dozens of practical steps we can take to fight the system that strips wealth and resources from all of us. Like Perkins, I also believe transformation is possible because both Malcolm and I experienced it in Africa. Miracles don't always happen overnight, but they do happen. I see a miracle every time I look at Malcolm. And I tell clients they must never give up on the hope for a miracle in their lives. Today, in Guadalupe, I'm sitting on the grass near a coconut tree in Anjalea's backyard, sharing my experiences in Nigeria. It's a hot day, and five of us are sitting in a semicircle about 20 feet away from Anjalea's garden. All eyes are on me as Omitola translates my words. Even now, I get emotional as I tell my story. tell them. It was near dusk when I arrived in Ile Ife and met my spiritual godfather Aseda for the first time. Baba was one of the most prominent Ifa priests in Nigeria at the time, and yet he was humble, soft spoken, and kind. By example, he taught me that spiritually grounded people have no need to impress others. They are secure in who they are, what they know, and what they can do. Ade coached us on how to greet Baba as we stepped into his small light green compound. Yagbo yak To we said, bowing down to touch the floor before him with our right hands. It's a traditional greeting among Ifa priests. It means, May you live long and grow old. Aseda was bare chested and sitting near his divination table when I first laid eyes on him. His head was shaven. He wore no shoes. Although streams of clients seek him out daily, no one except two elders were with him at that time. Plastic bags of dried herbal medicine hung in hallways and near the windowsills. Goats and chickens roamed outdoors. I thought of my family, Stephanie, our two youngest children, Tulani and Diallo, and the long, Painful chain of events that led Malcolm and me to Nigeria. In some ways, Ile Ife reminds me of St. Croix, not the St. Croix I grew up in, the one mom and dad often spoke about, the St. Croix I see in old grainy black and white photos, Niaye atijo, as the Yorubas say, in the old days. The days when lanterns glowed throughout the night as families and neighbors conversed in wooden houses. The days when my ancestors remembered stories of bra-cat and bra-dog and Anansi, the West African spider. The days when my ancestors brushed their teeth with ashes, walked barefoot to school, cooked on coal pots, herded goats, fed pigs, and tended to chickens. The days when you could leave your house unlocked and venture into town without worrying a thief might break in. Here, the people still live close to the earth, but it's different in many ways. I've never seen so many bats. Malcolm is fascinated by them, too. Armies of bats form clusters and hover above giant trees surrounding the campus of the University of Ile-Ife, And the sound of thunder is unlike anything I've heard before. It's a deep, dramatic rumble that stretches on forever. No wonder there's such reverence in Yoruba culture for Shango, Lord of Thunder and Lightning. One senses a powerful presence behind the rumble, a force that will put you in your place if you step out of line. About 90 minutes from Ile-Ife, another majestic force awaits you, the sacred grove of Oshun, located in city of Osogbo, the capital of Oshun state. This mystical 185-acre grove has been declared a world heritage site by UNESCO. With towering, densely populated trees and shrubs, sacred shrines and sculptures, hundreds of medicinal plants, and a sacred river with healing properties, the ancestral abode of Oshun must be experienced by all spiritual seekers at least once in this lifetime. The energy of Oshun Oskobo not only cools and uplifts, it transports you into another dimension if you're willing to go. At the Oshun Festival, held every year in August, tens of thousands descend from around the world to pay homage and to seek blessings from the powerful mother, who the Yoruba describe as the embodiment of grace and beauty. But there's another side to this river's deity. Oshun is a warrior as well as a peacemaker, say Joseph Murphy and My My Sanford in the book Oshun Across the Waters. Oshun is a fierce defender. She carries a cooling brass fan in one hand and a brass cutlass in the other. Oshun reminds us that we need to go deep into our own healing, and that's precisely what my family needs. Days after our arrival, Aceda and his team went to work performing rituals and sacrifices to help Malcolm. My son was given a special soap to bathe with, and at times, without his knowing, spiritual medicine was slipped into his food. One day, Ade took us to the city of Ibadan, where another Onisegun, or healer, gave Malcolm a spiritual bath and medicine to drink. I was hopeful, but inwardly, I found it difficult to understand how all the rituals and medicines would help him. Being in Nigeria, taught me how difficult it is to escape our western conditioning. When I was told Malcolm would have to ingest traditional medicine, part of me was secretly worried it might make him crazy. I was relieved to learn that healers in Yoruba culture often ingest some of their own medicine in front of clients just to demonstrate how safe it is. The medicine man lifted a gourd sipped some of the green concoction and gave the rest to Malcolm to drink. After this experience, I couldn't help but wonder if western doctors might be more careful when prescribing medicine if they had to ingest some of it themselves. Being in Nigeria with Ade and my elders also taught me something else, tenderness, and what it means to be a friend. The Yorubas believe Friendship is sacred, even more sacred than the bond between spouses. One day, Ambimbola, a leading scholar on Yoruba culture, once told me, it makes sense. Even science says there's a link between friendship, our health, and our emotional well-being. In a June 25, 2006 Time magazine article, You Gotta Have Friends, author Robert Putman wrote, that people who lack friends are at risk for premature death. In fact, not having friends puts us in the same risk category as smokers. Unfortunately, an increasing number of Americans report they don't have close friends they can confide in, said Putman. With all the social media sites in the world, millions still feel alone. With all the GPS systems in the world, millions still can't find their way home. Technology will never be a substitute for the longing we all have to connect with others in a meaningful way. One of my mentor friends says, we've mistaken Facebook likes and thumbs up emojis for genuine interaction. They're not no wonder depression and anxiety are on the rise in America among all age groups, but especially for teens. There's a lack of community. There's the amount of time that we spend in front of screens and not in front of other people. If you don't have a community to reach out to, then your hopelessness doesn't have any place to go, says Dr. Laurel Williams, Chief of Psychiatry at Texas Children's Hospital. Deep Connection is the medicine we all need. As I reflect on my struggles and those of my clients, I've come to the realization that most people are trying to cope with a pervasive sense of loss. Whether it's the loss of a loved one, a friendship, a relationship, or a business, no one escapes. Many choose to cover it up, but sooner or later, the pain of loss must be addressed says Ade. It literally means, "People are close. It's a Yoruba way of saying, "We are nothing without people around us to warm us up." But loss also comes with a spiritual blessing. It forces us to pay more attention to those who are still by our side and those who love us unconditionally. I remember the times Ade would give me a haircut after our Yoruba lessons. He would wash my head at the sink afterwards. I enjoyed the feeling of the warmth of his massaging hands against my scalp. It was comforting. I have faith in his friendship. In the same way I know the sun will rise at dawn and the moon will illuminate the night. In Nigeria, Malcolm and I were rarely alone. Ade and his brothers escorted us everywhere and brought breakfast to our room every morning, usually eggs and yams and hot cocoa. We spoke about Yoruba culture and life in America. Are most people in the US rich? They asked. Rarao, no, I replied. They taught me proverbs Ibi ti agbara enikan pinsi ibi ni ti enikan bere," where one person's power ends another person's power begins. My elders say Ade and I knew each other in a previous lifetime. We have reconnected in this lifetime to help each other in different ways. When it was revealed I was destined to be an Ifa priest, Ade wanted to ensure the ceremony was performed by someone he could trust. So he took me to the best person he knew, Aseda, the elder, who ended up initiating him as well. I can't let you fall into the wrong hands, he warned. Nigeria can be dangerous and not all initiations are created equal, he explained. Just like there are real Picasso paintings and fake Picasso paintings, there are real initiations and fake initiations. Only a highly trained expert can detect the difference between a gym and a sham Preparation for my initiation began in Nigeria about five months before I arrived Exposure to powerful spiritual forces can be dangerous Ade explained and if you don't know what you're doing you can get hurt Ade is not an ordinary man. He has four eyes. It's the Yoruba way of saying he's clairvoyant. He was initiated into Ifa on the same day I was. Led by our elders, he entered the Igbodu, or sacred groves, before I did, in order to protect me. If anything dangerous were to happen, Ade wanted it to happen to him, not me. A community of about 20 elders were present at my initiation. I don't remember most of the details of that day. I suppose it's that way for a reason. You can't repeat what you can't remember, and on a spiritual level, not everything you see, hear, or know is meant to be repeated. But I do recall the sun was smoldering as they led me, blindfolded into igbo the sacred grove. I had a terrible headache and welcomed the washing of my shaved head with Omiero, a sacred mixture of crushed leaves that's used in initiation and healing. A sacrificial goat bleated and took its last breath. Drumming and chanting followed. I prayed for healing in my family and ancestral support for this new chapter of my life. Initiation is not a single event. It's a lifelong journey. No true spiritual journey ever ends. At every stage of life, we must be prepared to give up something in order to grow. That something might be an attachment to someone, anger, or fear of the opinions of others. For Orisha De Awodola, a Seattle based psychologist, Letting go meant giving up several vices that she says rendered her life chaotic and egotistical. Prior to her initiation into IFA in 1995, I used to drink, smoke, and go to the club, she recalls. I was a very unhappy person. I was always looking for meaning. When you start losing your will to live, then you get sick because... Every organ in your body is attached to an emotion. Although her healing did not happen overnight, Ori says she found her purpose. She's the founder of the Institute, the Institute of African Centered Thought, and leads ancestral healing conferences in Seattle. Chief Baba Femi also known as Stephen Mackey, a popular Ifa priest based in Houston, Texas, says his journey into the tradition has equipped him with the tools to look at life through a spiritual lens and restore psychological balance to his clients. There is always an answer behind everything. We might not know what the answer is, but there's always an answer. As I reflect, on the changes in my life these days. I find myself thinking of the last day of my initiation ceremony when Aseda consulted the Ifa oracle and told me a few things about my future. You will see good things in your family, he said. Your daughter Tulani should study law. You will write a book about our tradition. Irawo Eatan Kakiri Agbaye, in Iyana Wa'e your star will glow all over the world and people will come to you like the rain. Malcolm did not undergo initiation in Nigeria and was not allowed to witness mine, but what he experienced was transformative. The young man I took to Africa was not the young man who returned. The first person to notice the shift in Malcolm when we returned home was Dr. Gerald Davenport, his therapist. I don't know what happened in Africa, but your child is new and improved, he said. Most of the profound changes in Malcolm happened over a period of many years. These days, the son that once caused so much trouble is a dedicated father of four who advocates for his children he will go to court in a minute to stand up for their rights and is doing his best to ensure they get a good education malcolm is also a successful business owner he runs a construction company i'm proud because his children will grow up thinking owning a business is normal no longer the family badass malcolm's siblings now tease him for being the golden child he invites us over to his house for meals takes us out to dinner often and routinely goes out of his way to help others i am grateful to my elders and to ifa because other families have not been as fortunate i no longer worry about malcolm but i do worry that his generation is in trouble he has attended only two weddings so far but knows of at least 30 funerals friends and acquaintances have been cut down too soon Listening to Malcolm makes me realize how lucky I am and how fleeting life is. Malcolm and I dream about teaming up to teach entrepreneurship skills to youth in the future. In the meantime, he volunteers often at his children's school, goes on field trips, and shares his passion for animals with them. I often work with mothers who are struggling with sons who have lost their way. My experience with Malcolm helps me to connect with them. I feel their pain and their fear. With the help of my elders, I perform rituals in an attempt to save them. Our community needs more than rituals, however. We need a different set of values. We each must play a role in the healing of our community we can't leave such a big responsibility in the hands of spiritual leaders, politicians, or celebrities. Recently, while watching Malcolm prune plants in our garden, I asked him what he learned in Africa. He said his third eye opened in Nigeria and he's been developing his intuition ever since. It's clear to him that there's a dimension around us that science will never be able to explain. My spiritual father, Aseda, passed in 2013. I felt such a loss when I first heard the news from Nigeria. He was like a father to me. A framed photograph of Aseda hangs in our living room. I know he is still looking after my family. He must be happy to see the progress Malcolm is making. And I'm sure he's proud that Tulani graduated with a law degree from UCLA. I've written the book Aseda told me about, and Stephanie, an editor who once worked for national magazines, helped shape it into a powerful one, so that Aseda's legacy and contribution to our lives can be shared widely. Baba. Never suggested what profession would be good for Diallo, our youngest son, but surely from the spirit world he can see that our youngest is also working on a book. The words of Ifa have come to pass. I am seeing good things in my family. I have seen darkness and I have seen light. I am praying more of us will experience the light. Bye.